This is the mop-up for August 29th, 2023. I'm David Feldman. I will close this morning's episode with some corrections. I made some statements last week that were either wrong or required some clarification, so I will address them at the end. This is Steve Bannon. He briefly served as chief strategist and counselor to Donald Trump during Trump's first year in office. Back when the January 6th committee was holding hearings, he was issued a subpoena to testify. He refused and the Justice Department indicted and then convicted him on contempt of Congress. That was on July 22nd, 2022, when a jury found Steve Bannon guilty of contempt of Congress and sentenced him to four months in prison. He is out on appeal. This is Peter Navarro. He served in Trump's White House as trade advisor. Navarro, along with Steve Bannon, came up with the Green Bay Sweep, named after the Packers coach Vince Lombardi's play in which his team would flood the zone. Bannon and Navarro are strong believers in flooding the zone, creates so much confusion nobody knows what to believe. The idea behind the Green Bay sweep was to flood the electoral count on January 6th in Congress with so many slates of phony electors from battleground states and so many challenges to each state, challenges that would last two hours each for each state, that the certification would be delayed by at least 24 hours, rolling into January 7th, possibly January 8th, creating so much dissent that the certification would end up being postponed, buying Donald Trump more time to steal the election. Navarro, Peter Navarro, wrote a book later that year in 2021. In the book, he said that on January 6th, hundreds of Republican members of Congress were prepared to follow his Green Bay sweep. In fact, Senator Ted Cruz and Congressman Paul Gosar were implementing the Green Bay sweep, challenging Arizona's election results at 1 p.m. on January 6th, with Republicans prepared to continue the Green Bay sweep for as long as possible. But then Trump blew it by ordering his imbeciles to storm the Capitol. They interrupted the Green Bay sweep. That's Kelly Meggs. He's one of the Oath Keepers storming the Capitol on January 6th, interrupting Peter Navarro's Green Bay sweep. Had the insurrection not taken place on January 6th, who knows what, have ha what, what would have happened? It is conceivable the Green Bay sweep, dreamed up by Peter Navarro and partly by Steve Bannon, it is conceivable that the Green Bay sweep would have worked. But we'll never know because Trump had to order his goons, goons like Oath Keeper Kelly Meggs, to storm the Capitol. That's Oath Keeper Kelly Meggs with his wife. They were both arrested. But Kelly Meggs on the left is doing 12 years for seditious conspiracy. He got sentenced about three months ago. He got sentenced for seditious conspiracy because of the role he played in storming the Capitol on January 6th. And that's his attorney, Stanley Woodward. Wait, I have more. OK, on Stanley Woodward. 
If you'll recall, Stanley Woodward is on retainer. He's a lawyer. He's on retainer with Trump's Save America PAC. And Stanley Woodward defends low-level Trump associates who have been indicted or must testify before Congress. For example, here is Stanley Woodward with Walt Nauta, Trump's valet, as they enter a Miami courtroom earlier this year after Walt Nauta was indicted for helping Donald Trump violate the Espionage Act by hiding classified documents from the FBI. Stanley Woodward is providing legal counsel to some of the other low-level Mar-a-Lago employees indicted in that case, and his legal counsel is paid for by Trump, or at least the Save America PAC. Donald Trump doesn't pay for anybody's legal fees, including his own. Yes, Donald Trump is paying Stanley Woodward to represent all the low-level Mar-a-Lago employees who've been either called to testify or indicted in the Miami trial for violating the Espionage Act. Unless they flip. Unless they flip, then Stanley Woodward is not your attorney anymore. For example, as I reported last week, Yuskel Tavares, he's the IT director for Mar-a-Lago, he flipped and became a witness for the prosecution. He began working with special counsel Jack Smith. Tavares had Stanley Woodward as his lawyer when he went before the Washington, D.C. grand jury to testify under oath that as head of IT, information technology down at Mar-a-Lago, he never saw anyone move any boxes or try to hide any boxes from the FBI. He testified under oath before the grand jury that Donald Trump never told him, never ordered him to erase any surveillance videos, surveillance videos of people moving boxes of classified material to hide from Donald, from the FBI. But then Yuskel Tavares felt guilty for lying under oath. So he told the judge, you know what, Your Honor, I've committed perjury and I'd like to work with the prosecution, but I'll need a new lawyer. Stanley Woodward is representing me, but if I turn on Trump, he won't represent me anymore. And so the judge assigned Yuskel Tavares, a public defender, and Yuskel Tavares became a witness for the prosecution. And now Stanley Woodward, his former attorney, has a lot of explaining to do. You know, conflict of interest. Who is he really representing? Was he representing Yuskel Tavares, Walt Nauta, or the guy who's paying his bills, Donald Trump? Anyway... Peter Navarro, who came up with the Green Bay sweep, along with Steve Bannon, was asked to testify before the January 6th committee. And like Steve Bannon, he refused. So the Justice Department indicted Peter Navarro for contempt of Congress. And because things have been pretty busy for the Justice Department, his contempt of Congress trial began on Monday and guess who Peter Navarro's attorney is? You guessed it, Stanley Woodward. How does Stanley Woodward do this? How can he represent 
so many people. He's a shapeshifter, which is easy to do because he obviously has no spine. Not only does Stanley Woodward represent Trump's closest associates like Peter Navarro, who refused to testify before the January 6th committee, but Stanley Woodward also represents all the low-level Mar-a-Lago employees in the classified documents case, like Walt Nauta, Trump's valet. He'll represent all of, all of them unless they flip. Unless they flip. And he also, strangely enough, represents Oath Keeper Kelly Meggs, who stormed the Capitol on January 6th interrupting Peter Navarro's Green Bay sweep. And Kelly Meggs, Stanley Woodward's client, is now serving 12 years for seditious conspiracy. Who paid Stanley Woodward to represent the Oath Keeper, Kelly Meggs? And did Kelly Meggs ever flip? Did he ever tell the judge who Stuart Rhodes, the founder of the Oath Keepers, now doing 22 years for seditious conspiracy. Did Stanley Woodward's client, Kelly Meggs, the Oath Keeper Kelly Meggs, ever tell the judge and the jury who in the White House Stuart Rhodes was allegedly talking to on January 6th? Or was that part of the deal with Stanley Woodward? Do you have to keep your mouth shut? Is that how it works? Stanley Woodward, Donald Trump's attorney, uh, he'll only represent you if you don't incriminate Donald Trump. Sure would be nice to find out because there seems to be a direct line between the Oath Keepers being represented by Stanley Woodward and Donald Trump. Seems awfully curious to me. Well, at the beginning of August, a Washington grand jury investigating Donald Trump's role in trying to overturn the 2020 presidential election returned several indictments charging the former president with conspiracy to defraud the United States, conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding, obstruction of justice and conspiracy against the right to vote and to have one's vote counted. Bad day for Donald Trump on Monday. Donald Trump got more bad news when he was informed that the trial that I just talked about has now been set for March 4th, 2024, one day before Super Tuesday, when 865 delegates in 15 states are all up for grabs. In other words, by March 6th, 2024, we may know who the Republican nominee for president is, and Trump knows if he's not that nominee, then he's in more trouble than any of us can possibly imagine. A quick side note, E. Jean Carroll, who won a $5 million lawsuit, a $5 million defamation lawsuit in May after a jury ruled that Donald Trump raped and defamed her, well, she has a second defamation lawsuit filed against Donald Trump. And that one begins on January 15th, 2024, which is also the Iowa caucuses. Returning to the Washington, D.C. indictments, special counsel Jack Smith uh, wanted an earlier date, uh, hoping it would be the first week of December with jury selection in December. But the judge 
said it's going to be March, uh, March 4th, 2024. Trump and his lawyers are complaining March 4th, 2024 is too soon because they are overwhelmed and need more time to sift through the mountains of evidence. And they have requested that Trump's trial start in 2026, two years after, well, the presiding judge in this, U.S. District Judge Tanya Chutkin, reminded Trump's lawyers the grand jury was impaneled as far back as September of 2022. That gave them plenty of time to begin mounting their defense. This was on Monday. The judge also said she was aware that Mr. Trump is running for president, but added this trial comes first and she will not treat Mr. Trump any different than, say, a professional athlete who asks for their criminal trial to be scheduled around their work obligations. Trump says he plans to appeal the judge's decision But he will lose because when it comes to scheduling a trial, the presiding judge's word is final. Trump's lawyer on Monday expressed disappointment, uh, uh, accusing the judge of attempting to stage a show trial. Donald Trump is a busy man. On Monday, he was ordered to appear in Fulton County Superior Court down in Georgia at 9.30 a.m. on September 6 for his arraignment in the RICO trial where he and 18 co-defendants are charged with interfering with Georgia's elections back in 2020. All 18 of his co-defendants will appear right after Trump in 15-minute increments. Trump's arraignment will be followed by Rudy Giuliani's and... uh, That will take place on September 6th. The following day, September 7th, Donald Trump, who has refused to pay any of Rudy's legal fees, Donald Trump will host a $100,000 a plate dinner at his Bedminster, New Jersey country club to raise money for Rudy's defense. It's going to be $100,000 a plate. Maybe I'm wrong, but does anyone think Anyone is showing up for Rudy's fundraiser. Do you think for one second that Donald Trump is going to pick up the phone, call friends and say, hey, you know what? Come to Bedminster, pay $100,000 a plate to help Rudy. The only reason you would pay $100,000 a plate is because you are investing in Rudy Giuliani. You think he'll repay the favor after he's acquitted. But he's not getting acquitted, which means he'll be in no position to give you a return on that $100,000 a plate donation. That dinner is going to be emptier than Rudy's checking account. Earlier this month, Rudy's attorney, Adam Katz, representing Rudy in the defamation suit filed by Smartmatic Voting Machines, told the judge that Giuliani didn't have any money left He didn't have any money left to Xerox the necessary documents during the discovery phase of that trial. No money for the Xeroxing. Rudy has the Smartmatic Smartmatic trial coming up, the Dominion trial, the Georgia trial, the defamation suit filed by the mother and daughter, election officials in Georgia, 
There's the $10 million sexual assault suit filed by his former employee. And there's also a lawsuit that we haven't talked about. Rudy's being sued. Uh, he's being accused of keeping $300,000 that had been raised to produce a documentary about Joe Biden that never got made. Never got made, but Rudy kept $300,000 of the investment. Yeah, Rudy's got more suits than the men's warehouse. So, arraignments in Fulton County that have been scheduled can be done virtually, not in person. It will be entirely up to the presiding judge in that case, Scott McAfee. Five of the 19 defendants indicted for racketeering by Fulton County District Attorney Phony Willis are requesting that their trial be bumped up into a federal courtroom, claiming the charges against them are federal, not state crimes. If they were to succeed in moving the trial into a federal courtroom, the Fulton County District Attorney Phony Willis would still prosecute but she would be going before a federal judge. One of the reasons the five defendants prefer a federal trial is they would be able to draw from a much more conservative pro-Trump jury pool as opposed to a jury pool from Fulton County, Georgia, which is primarily Biden country. On Monday, Mark Meadows, Donald Trump's White House chief of staff, went before a federal judge for nearly four hours in an evidentiary hearing during which Meadows and his lawyers made the case that whatever crimes Meadows has been charged with were committed in his capacity as White House chief of staff. That's a federal job, they claimed, and therefore the supremacy clause of the Constitution dictates that Meadows be tried in federal court. Lawyers for the other defendants, including Donald Trump's lawyers, were packed into the courtroom on Monday to observe this evidentiary hearing, since it's believed that if Meadows succeeds in bumping his trial up into a federal courtroom, they will all, all the defendants, will try to make the same request. The judge on Monday said he will attempt to issue a ruling before September 6th, 2024, when Meadows, as well as the other 18 defendants, are scheduled to be arraigned inside the Fulton County Superior Court. The Fulton County District Attorney, if you recall, Phony Willis, has indicted Meadows on two counts, one violating her state's racketeering laws and the other count for soliciting Georgia's Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger to violate his oath of office during the infamous call on January 6, 2021. Let's listen to a part of the call to refresh your memory. So, look, all I want to do is this. I just want to find uh, 11,780 votes, which is one more than we have, because we won the state. During that call from the Oval Office, which Mark Meadows had arranged as chief of staff, Mark Meadows can be heard lying to the Georgia Secretary of State, telling him he has evidence of massive voter fraud in Georgia. That is a lie. Meadows has a son who is a lawyer who works in Georgia, and he was assigned to 
investigate voter fraud, and he came up empty. Even during Monday's testimony, Meadows told the judge that he had flown down to Cobb County on December 22nd, 2020, and he observed the recount and said he saw no evidence of election fraud. That was on December 22nd, 2020, when Mark Meadows flew down to observe the count. And yet on January 2nd, after he just he just told the judge that he on December 22nd, 2020, he saw no evidence of voter fraud. And yet on January 6th, uh, January 2nd, 2021, nearly 10 days after he went down to Georgia, Meadows can be heard on that call with the Georgia Secretary of State claiming that he saw massive evidence of voter fraud. He blew it today. Mark Meadows blew it today. He, he said to the judge, I saw no evidence of voter fraud when I flew down to Cobb County on December 22nd, 2020. Well, if he saw no evidence of voter fraud, why did he tell Brad Raffensperger, the secretary of state for Georgia on the January 2nd call that he had evidence of voter fraud. He blew it today for everybody. Mark Meadows, idiot, always was an idiot. That was his reputation. Read John Boehner's autobiography where he describes Mark Meadows. Fool. That's why he was the chief of staff for Donald Trump, because Donald Trump will not surround himself with anybody who's an intellectual threat. During Monday's evidentiary hearing, Meadows' attorneys made the argument that because their client was the White House chief of staff, he has what is called supremacy clause immunity, which prevents him from being tried in a state court. The supremacy clause of the Constitution states that all federal laws supersede any state or local laws in other words, the federal government's laws are the supreme law of the land, hence it's called the Supremacy Clause. Meadows' attorneys argued on Monday that as a federal employee working in the capacity of White House Chief of Staff, Meadows cannot be prosecuted in any state court, and that this trial, therefore, must take place in a federal courtroom because Supreme Court rulings going back nearly a century dictate that states are forbidden from using their courts to impede a federal official from carrying out the responsibilities of their job. Try to imagine President Barack Obama, for example, being tried in the state court of Alabama for an alleged crime they dreamed up in Alabama that he committed, they say, as president. Imagine the Alabama, a local Alabama district attorney, deciding that as president, Barack Obama had violated Alabama law. It would be a nightmare, which is why the president and his chief of staff, according to Meadows' attorneys, are granted what is called supremacy clause immunity. Okay, that's a, a sweet argument, but flawed. Because the question before the judge on Monday is, was Mark Meadows performing his job as White House chief of staff 
when he set up the infamous call to Georgia's Secretary of State? Or was that political in nature? If it was political, then both Trump and Meadows were not serving in their capacity as federal officials. And Meadows was also, as District Attorney Phony Willis reminded the judge on Monday, in violation of the Hatch Act. Trump may not have been in violation of the Hatch Act, but Mark Meadows could be accused of violating the Hatch Act, which was passed in 1939, which strictly forbids employees of the executive branch from engaging in political activities at work. Now, I'm not positive, but I think the president and vice president don't fall under the purview of the Hatch Act. But Meadows most certainly does. And so when he called Georgia's secretary of state trying to overturn the election results, when he called to threaten and cajole the Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, trying to convince him to find one more vote than Biden had, Meadows, well, was he doing the people's business or was this political in nature? What do you think? Obviously, when you're calling the election official, the top election official in Georgia to overturn an election, it's political in nature. He is not doing the federal government's business and he is violating the Hatch Act. He blew it today, big time. He just exposed the gaping holes in Trump's defense. During his testimony on Monday, Meadows insisted that setting up the call with Brad Raffensperger, the Georgia Secretary of State, And participating in that call where he lied and said he himself had evidence of voter fraud in Georgia, he did not. He, uh, as well as flying down to Cobb County on December 22nd, 2020, and stepping illegally, he stepped illegally into a counting room to intimidate the election officials. He said all this activity was done inside the scope of White House Chief of Staff. Well, he blew it. He so obviously blew it on Monday. This activity was in no way done as White House Chief of Staff. This was purely political. He was not working as a federal employee. During Meadows' testimony on Monday, U.S. District Court Judge Stephen C. Jones, he was presiding over Monday's evidentiary hearing in Georgia, he asked Mark Meadows squarely whether the Constitution provided a role for the president to interfere in state and local elections. Meadows said, quote, I don't know enough to opine. Mark Meadows doesn't know enough to get out of bed in the morning. He, he was an idiot when he started the Freedom Caucus. He's a bigger idiot today. Well, some quick corrections from last week's show. Uh, shows. Uh, Vivek Ramaswamy attended Harvard as an undergrad. He attended Yale Law school. I apologize. I got that wrong. I said that Vivek 
Ramaswamy attended Harvard Law. He attended Harvard undergrad, but went on to uh, Yale Law School. So my apologies to Vivek. Vivek, like cake. Okay. It's, uh, again, let me try that again, uh, Mr. Trump. My apologies to Vivek. Vivek, like cake. Okay, moving on. Uh, my apologies to Ron DeSantis. He attended Yale as an undergrad and then went on to Harvard Law. Okay, so I got that wrong. Last week, I said that when posting his $200,000 bond after being arrested in Georgia, Donald Trump only put down $20,000. Now, that's correct. But I implied this was further evidence of Donald Trump's financial precarity. I have been informed by many of my listeners that it is commonplace for defendants to go through bail bond companies because those companies are experts in filing uh, the paperwork and uh, they make sure it's done properly. They, they know how to meet the exact demands of the court and it is customary to only put down 10% while the bond company guarantees the rest to the court. Thank you to my listeners who, all of whom seem to be <laughs> experts on posting bond. Uh, <laughs> gives you an idea <laughs> of who listens <laughs> to this show. Last week, I also said that there was reporting that Donald Trump on August 4th of this year had transferred ownership of a Mar-a-Lago, of his Mar-a-Lago uh, estate, estimated to be worth half a billion dollars. I said that he had transferred ownership of Mar-a-Lago into a corporation run by his idiot son, Donald Trump Jr. Well, according to reports, Zillow did in fact list Mar-a-Lago as sold on August 4th. And that sale would have taken place just days after Trump had been indicted by a Washington, D.C. grand jury for his role in trying to overturn the 2020 presidential election. I suggested that if the transfer of Mar-a-Lago was true, it meant Trump was hiding assets. Zillow did, in fact, list Mar-a-Lago as sold on August 4th but they now claim to have aired. Zillow said they made a mistake listing Mar-a-Lago as sold. Eric Trump, Donald Trump's other idiot son, also stated that when Trump became president, Mar-a-Lago's ownership was transferred into a corporation run by Donald Trump Jr. Okay. Many of my listeners wrote in to say that I misrepresented. Uh, okay, I'm a little lost here. Hang on, because this is a this is a big one. Okay, uh, many of my listeners wrote in to say that I misrepresented why all of the 19 defendants in the Georgia case uh, were sent home except one, Harrison Floyd the black man. I made it a point of saying 19 defendants were fingerprinted last week. They got their mug shots and they were all sent home except the black man, Harrison Floyd. 
He's the only one still being held in Fulton County Jail. So uh, I'm not going to apologize. I looked into it further. I had known that they claimed he had assaulted FBI agents. I looked into it. I'm not going to take back what I said. So uh, but I understand why you corrected me. But let me tell you the story. Harrison Floyd is leader of Black Voices for Trump, and he was indicted for intimidating a Fulton County uh, election worker uh, and her uh, daughter uh, trying to get her to change her story and claim Donald Trump and Rudy Giuliani were correct in accusing them of stuffing ballots for Joe Biden. And so... If you recall, I said there was one black man out of the 19 defendants, and for some reason, he's the only one still being detained in Fulton County Jail, where 15 inmates died last year. Somehow, Harrison Floyd was deemed a flight risk. Nobody else. Now, I'm willing to admit I'm wrong. I usually am wrong. But if you hear me out... Uh, I'm not willing to admit quite yet uh, that I was wrong about Harrison Floyd, because in America, believe it or not, we're innocent until proven guilty. Harrison Floyd has not been convicted of any crimes yet. He has been charged with either aggressively confronting or assaulting two FBI agents, but he has yet to be convicted and it is not clear whether he's charged with aggressively confronting or assaulting an FBI agent. There's a difference. But I do know that he has been charged with a misdemeanor. Either one is a misdemeanor. He's been charged with a second degree assault, not first degree, second degree assault. He's been charged with second degree assault in Maryland which is a fel which is a misdemeanor, okay? A misdemeanor. So why is he being held in Fulton County Jail this morning if he's awaiting trial on a misdemeanor? Uh, this is makes me very angry, okay? I'm going to review what happened in in a second, but I want you to ask yourself of the 19 defendants is Floyd Harrison a flight risk? I, I say he's no more a flight risk than any of the other d defendants. Harrison Floyd, is it Floyd Harrison? I'm sorry. Is it Harrison Floyd or Floyd Harrison? Uh, let me, sorry. Let me just... Uh, okay, I apologize. I want to get the order of the name right. This is, I have him down as Harrison Floyd. So I'm just going to refer to him as Floyd uh, so I don't get it wrong. Okay? So we'll just refer to him as Floyd. Uh, Floyd has not been convicted of any crimes yet. And uh, so I'm going to ask you, why is Floyd the only defendant 
still in jail, still in that horrid jail in Fulton County. Why was he deemed a flight risk? He was already in the system. He's a black man in the system. He's a Marine. He served in Iraq. He already has an arrest record. He's in the system. He showed up for his arrest in Fulton County, Georgia. He showed up to be fingerprinted. He showed up for his mugshot. Does that sound like a flight risk to you? He's accused of a misdemeanor of second degree assault when two FBI agents back in February attempted to serve him with a subpoena to testify before special counsel Jack Smith's grand jury. Floyd told the judge last week in Fulton County he can't afford an attorney. The judge informed him that he doesn't qualify for a public defender. No bond. You're a flight risk. Lock him up. Back when Floyd had the confrontation with the FBI, this was in February, Floyd was arrested later that evening and charged with second degree assault because of his altercation with the FBI agents. He was booked inside the Montgomery County Detention Center and immediately released. Okay, the Montgomery County Detention Center booked him and released him. He's awaiting trial on second degree assault of these FBI agents, a misdemeanor. It's not a felony. It's a misdemeanor. Okay, according to what I understand in Maryland, thousands upon thousands of people in Maryland are charged with second degree assault. And if they are first time offenders, they are rarely incarcerated. They are usually placed on unsupervised probation. And the judge in that case saw no need to lock Floyd up. The judge in that case didn't see Floyd as a flight risk. But the judge in Fulton County, Georgia, saw him as a flight risk because he's awaiting trial on second degree assault in Maryland. Donald Trump, meanwhile, is awaiting trial on three other criminal in three other criminal courtrooms, not misdemeanors like Floyd. Donald Trump is uh, looking at prison time and he has his own jet, but he's not a flight risk. How is Floyd a flight risk? He wasn't a flight risk when he was arrested and briefly detained after his altercation in Maryland with the FBI. Okay, how is this guy a flight risk? He was indicted in Georgia. He showed up for his arrest. He surrendered voluntarily. There was no warrant, no need for extradition. He shows up on his own volition. Okay, but he can't afford a lawyer. He can't post bond. That makes him a flight risk. Lock up a Marine who served in Iraq. Yep. Lock up the black man. Lock up the black man in one of America's nastiest jails. So, no, I don't stand corrected. Is this justice for a combat veteran? A man is innocent until proven guilty. Why is he inside Fulton County Jail this morning? Did he assault 
two FBI agents. He's been a ch- he's been charged with a misdemeanor. And we don't know if he even is guilty of this misdemeanor because he has yet to be convicted and he never will be. He will not get a trial. He will plea out. So what exactly did the FBI accuse him of? Did they accuse Floyd of punching the agents? No, no. Floyd is charged with chest bumping two FBI agents and screaming in their faces. Is that a crime? Well, apparently, according to the charges, it's a misdemeanor because there is a difference between punching an FBI agent and bumping chests with an FBI agent. He was charged with a misdemeanor. And the judge in that case saw no need to lock him up. But down in Georgia, where a black man can't afford a lawyer, lock him up. You know, it just doesn't look good. Based on the optics alone, when 19 people surrender last week, get their mug shots, and everyone's released except for the black guy, it doesn't look good. The optics are bad, and optics are important. Back to Floyd's misdemeanor, which he hasn't been convicted of. Floyd was outnumbered two FBI agents to one. They opened their coats when this altercation was occurring to reveal they had weapons. Mr. Floyd did not have a weapon. He is a mixed martial artist as well as an Iraqi war vet, a Marine. And he was clearly in emotional distress. The agents were trying to serve Floyd a subpoena while Floyd was carrying his baby daughter. Could he have behaved better? Clearly. Hey, we all can behave better. This was, at worst, a misdemeanor. Did the two FBI agents have to go to a hospital to be treated from the chest bumps? Did Floyd's uh, did Floyd spittle in their faces? They complained that he got up close and screamed and his spittle ended up in their faces. Did they have to go to the hospital to have the, their faces treated from the spittle? No. Was Mr. Flo- was Floyd? I don't know if it's Harrison Floyd. I apologize. Was Floyd unhinged? Yes. He's a Marine. He's going through things. He's a Marine and a mixed martial artist. He ran for Congress in 2019 as a Republican. He ran a TV ad showing him shooting off one of his assault weapons, saying, quote, I'll fight socialists in Congress the same way I fought terrorists in the desert. He's right wing. OK, not my type of candidate, not my type of human being. He's a Republican, okay? He's a black Republican. He's unhinged. But he's no more unhinged and no more of a threat to the community than Marjorie Taylor Greene. In fact, I would opine he's less of a threat to the community than Marjorie Taylor Greene. I read the official FBI complaint. Floyd repeatedly demanded to know if he was being charged with a crime. He was not. 
He told the FBI, leave me alone. He demanded to see their ID, insisting he had no idea who they were, claimed he didn't believe them when they said they were trying to serve him a subpoena. Who among us has not attempted to dodge a subpoena? I have. It's a game. You got to serve me first, chump. Yes, it is a crime to get in an FBI agent's face. It is a it is a crime to scream and bump chests with an FBI. It is a crime. It is a misdemeanor. Nobody had to go to jail. He was outnumbered. Unhinged Marine cut him some slack. And we don't even know if the FBI agents are telling the truth. We don't know if he's guilty of a misdemeanor or not. It hasn't gone to trial and it never will because it's a misdemeanor. He will either be forced to perform community service and that will be the end of it. Again, is it wrong to chest bump an FBI agent and scream in his face? Yes, don't do it. It's a misdemeanor. Don't do it. But I can assure you that if Floyd were white, everyone would have agreed he was having a bad day. He's a Marine. He's a Marine. He's a Republican. He was having a bad day. But he's black. And black men are not allowed to have bad days in America. According to the FBI's criminal uh, complaint against Floyd, Two FBI agents on February 23rd, 2023, were attempting to serve Floyd with a subpoena to testify before special counsel Jack Smith's Washington, D.C. grand jury. OK, the two agents, I'm going to read you what they wrote. OK, and then you tell me if he's a flight risk and whether or not he should be in Fulton County Jail this morning where uh, what were 10 or 15 inmates died last year. OK, according to the FBI, they went to his apartment and through the intercom said they wanted to serve him a, a subpoena. OK, I have little sympathy for Floyd, anyone who runs black voices for Trump. I know a lot of my listeners think uh, who cares about uh, somebody who ran black voices for Trump. I do. Uh Given the circumstances, Floyd had reason to be suspicious when someone's buzzing his apartment and claiming to be from the FBI. Floyd was with his baby, his daughter at the time. Now, I understand that the FBI claims to have left a message, called him ahead of time. Uh, but uh, would you believe a call? Would you believe it when somebody said, hi, this is the FBI. We're coming by to serve a subpoena. Would you believe that? I wouldn't. When Floyd left his apartment with his baby daughter, he was holding his baby daughter, the two FBI agents began to follow him, insisting while he was holding his baby daughter that they wanted to talk to him. Floyd said he didn't know who they were and said, leave me alone. Now, do I think Floyd knew they were FBI agents? Maybe. Do I think he might have been playing with them? Maybe. We'll find out. 
Well, I guess we won't find out. This is a misdemeanor, so it's never going to trial. So we won't find out, which means he's not a flight risk. What is he doing in Fulton County Jail this morning? According to the FBI complaint, the two agents followed Floyd back into the apartment building while he was carrying his baby daughter. Floyd went back into his apartment and he left the door open. And the FBI agents say they wedged the subpoena into the door jam. Here's what the FBI wrote in their complaint. And you tell me if Floyd is a flight risk, okay? You tell me if Floyd, a Marine who served in Iraq, I'm going to guess he's the only one of the 19 defendants. I'm just going to venture a guess that he's the only one who served in Iraq. I could be wrong. Uh, I know the lawyers who uh, were indicted didn't serve our country. Okay, so you tell me if Floyd belongs in Fulton County Jail this morning. This is how the two FBI agents describe their interaction with Floyd, which was recorded audio. They have an audio uh, recording, not a body cam. They have audio. They write, Floyd stated, quote, bro, I don't even know who you are. You're two random guys who are following me up here into my house with my daughter. You're not showing me an effing badge. You haven't shown me the S word. Get the F away from me, unquote. Victim one, I'm still reading the FBI report. Victim one, that would be one of the FBI agents. The FBI agent is victim one. Victim one responded, quote, here's my credentials. And then I'm reading the report and held out his FBI credentials for Floyd to inspect. But Floyd did not turn around and instead opened the door to his apartment, walked in and then slammed it shut. OK. Uh, not a crime. If you don't know who these people purporting to be FBI agents are, or if you're trying to avoid a subpoena, this is not yet a crime. Uh, so he slammed it shut and uh, they, the FBI agents started to leave the apartment and Floyd then came running after them. Apparently, he put his baby down and uh, then he came running after them. OK, here's what the FBI writes. Victim one and victim two. Those would be the FBI uh, agents. They're the victims in this. They this is what they write. Victim one and victim two observe Floyd running down the stairs after them. Victim one tells victim two, quote, get ready. As Floyd rushed down the stairs and then screaming, quote, you effing piece of S word. Victim two yells back in response, back up, back up, unquote. But Floyd continued to rush toward victim one and two and then ran straight into victim one on the stair 
landing, striking him chest to chest. Interesting use of words, striking him chest to chest. Striking him chest to chest or bumping him chest to chest, okay? Striking has a different connotation. This is second degree assault. So he didn't strike the FBI agent. He chess bumped him. Let me continue reading. This is the FBI report. Victim one was knocked backward, unquote. Knocked backward. Did he fall to the ground or was he knocked back a little? Now, is it a crime to do this to an FBI, FBI agent? Absolutely. OK, but it is a misdemeanor. It is second degree assault because was Floyd certain they were FBI agents? Who knows if it goes to trial? He can claim that he wasn't certain they were FBI agents. Was anybody's life in danger? Was anybody's life in danger during this altercation that would justify the judge in Fulton County deciding that Floyd is a flight risk? Lock him up. Nobody's life was in danger. Is it fair to say that a black man in Maryland might have reason to be suspicious of cops or two men in suits claiming to be FBI agents? Is it fair to say that anybody in America has a right to be suspicious of cops or two men in suits claiming to be FBI agents? And is it possible that Floyd had absolutely no reason to believe the FBI was looking for him? Right. You know, yes, he was involved in, you know, he's been indicted in Georgia, but it's conceivable that he's got a lot going on and he didn't think that he was going to be subpoenaed by the FBI. OK, well, uh, we'll never find out because this is a misdemeanor. He will never have a trial. And if he will never have a trial, that means he's not a flight risk. What is he doing inside that cesspool Fulton County Jail this morning? Uh, let me read a little more because this really pisses me off. Uh, the FBI agents write, and Floyd continued rushing forward to close the gap, striking victim one chest chest again. He didn't strike victim one. He chest bumped him. There's a difference. No fists, no kicking. Floyd is a mixed martial artist. He's a Marine. He, for all we know, he could have had a gun upstairs in his apartment. He didn't use any weapons, not his hands, not a gun. He uses chest and that is not a weapon. He was clearly pushing these two men, these FBI, these two men who turned out to be FBI agents. He was using his chest to push them away. Is it a crime in retrospect? Yes. How serious? Well, he's charged with a misdemeanor. We'll never know. 
So is he a flight risk in Fulton County? No. All right, I'm going to stop reading this. Okay. I could... Okay. Uh, He ended up calling after the FBI left. Uh, He was upset, and he, Floyd, called 911. He called 911 and reported that two men with guns wearing suits... Uh, had threatened him and his daughter. The Maryland police showed up, took his complaint. Does that sound like somebody who's a flight risk? Who would call uh, the police after being confronted by two men who uh, claimed to be from the FBI? Later that night, Floyd was arrested. And like I keep telling you, he was charged with second degree assault a misdemeanor, and he was released that night. But the judge in Fulton County, Georgia, is keeping him in one of America's worst jails. Half the men in that Fulton County jail, according to the ACLU, have yet to be charged or indicted. In America, you're innocent until proven guilty. What is he doing behind bars this morning? You know, Donald Trump was just found guilty of rape. Giuliani is being sued for rape. They uh, they don't end up behind bars. The black guy does. The black guy does. Yes, this is about race. And if you don't see that, you're an ignoramus. I'm telling you, if a white Marine who served in Iraq, a white mixed martial art artist, if he was having a bad day and the FBI tried to serve him a subpoena and he got in their faces and bumped them in the chest and cursed them out and then called the police on these FBI agents saying two men with guns won't stop harassing me, uh, harassing me. Maybe working the system, maybe dodging a subpoena, maybe pretending he wasn't sure they were FBI agents. I am telling you, if a white man, a white Marine, a combat veteran was having a bad day like this, holding his baby daughter, he would be given some slack. You know, PTSD, Marine Iraq, served his country, having a bad day. The jail in Fulton County is a nightmare. And a combat veteran who served this country, even if he is a Trump supporter, should not be locked up this morning. You know, we don't have a two-tiered justice system here in America. We don't have a two-tiered justice system. We have a several-tiered justice system. And one of those tiers includes strong, angry black men who might be having a bad day, might be having mental health issues. In America, if you're a strong, angry black man who came home from the war on edge, there's a distinct possibility 
that if you're having a bad day, you're going to jail. Everyone else, everyone else was released except the strong, angry black man. That is not justice. Kenneth Cheesebro, who wrote the memos, was there on January 6th, standing on the Capitol steps with Alex Jones. He got to go home after he got his mugshot. John Eastman spoke on the ellipse on January 6th. Rudy Giuliani also spoke on the ellipse on January 6th and incited an insurrection by screaming to an armed mob, it's time for trial by combat. They, along with Donald Trump, incited an insurrection. But they got to go home. But the black guy didn't. Yes, this is racism. I'm David Feldman, and I will not apologize for that. I did not get that wrong. I stand by that statement. A lot of people corrected me and said he assaulted two FBI agents. Uh, I, I appreciate those comments. Uh, I stand by my statement. This is about race. I'm David Feldman reminding you to stay strong and uh, protect the weak. 